Comedy is simply a funny way of being serious. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. And today, we are diving deep with Eddie Pepitone. Now, for any mental illness happy hour listeners out there, you are probably familiar with Eddie. But for those of you who are not, Eddie is an actor, he is a stand-up comedian, and he is funny as fuck. And I just want to let my girl MK know. MK was the one that sent me the email saying that I say uh, fuck too much. I just want to let you know, MK, you're probably not listening anymore. But just in case you are, uh, there's a lot of fucks in this conversation. So you can choose whether or not to proceed. You've been warned. Uh, But we're talking about lots of things. We're talking about the laundry list. I showed Eddie the laundry list for the first time. And like many of us, it was a spiritual experience for him. We're talking about addiction. We're talking about relapse. We're talking about comedy. Uh, This is a bit lighter of a discussion. You definitely will laugh several times. But before we do that, let's take it down a few notches. Uh, Let's take it down and then Eddie can lift us back up and let's talk about the holidays. Now, the holidays are even stressful for normies. And they are doubly stressful for us adult children. It is a reminder of what is, what isn't, what never was, what's lacking. I, I posted a video on Instagram a couple days ago about how my romantic relationships always seem to implode right before Thanksgiving. I could never make it through the holidays. So... That meant I was single for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for New Year's. It seemed like I was always the one person at the New Year's Eve party who had uh, nobody to kiss. And so I just would have this depression and just this constant anxiety and shame that lived within my bones even more so when it was the holidays. And I can gladly tell you that that is no longer the case for me today. Would I like to be in a healthy, happy relationship? Yes, I would. But I do not need it to be able to feel serene and enjoy the holiday season. And that is a miracle. And then we have the whole family piece. Now, I need you to be honest with me. Raise your hand if one good thing about COVID last year was that you did not have to be around your family for the holidays. Mine may or may not be raised, but the holidays, this is the time where there is a lot of potential and possibility for our underlying wounds to be triggered. And it is also a time where we have the potential to slip back into old behaviors and old roles. We can so easily get sucked back into that dysfunction. Now, I want to share a personal experience that I had with this, which was a few years ago. And it was the holidays and I caught one of my family members trying to sneak booze into the house. And I immediately saw red and I am trying to like wrestle this bottle of alcohol out of their hands. I am inches away from their face screaming at the top of my lungs. And finally... I came back to my senses and I felt like shit, you know, and I was beating myself up for a period of time. I could not believe that I behaved that way, but I had to show myself some compassion. I was having an emotional flashback. You know, what it reminded me of was was this one time with my mom when my dad was out of town. She was hiding her booze in the in the closet in the guest room. And I remember she was standing in front of the doors like so I couldn't get in. And then finally, I I got her out of the way and I took the bottle. And I remember just screaming at her at the top of my lungs and going into the kitchen and pouring the bottle of wine down the drain. So when I was, you know, kind of able to connect the dots, 
um, I was able to have a little bit of compassion for myself and um, I'm not perfect. You know, this is progress, not perfection. Now, we obviously are not in control over what could trigger us, but what we can do is go in prepared. You know, what are potential triggers that we could encounter? What have been triggers in the past? And having a plan in place as far as how we are going to respond if X, Y, and Z happens, whether that's, you know, taking our own car so that if we need to leave, we can leave, you know, whether it's stepping outside to make a phone call to someone in your support system, you know, praying, meditate, meditating, you know, thinking about how you want to respond if a family member says or does something that crosses a boundary for you. So in my Patreon group, I posed a few questions. What memory comes to mind when you think about the holidays during your childhood? And are you doing anything differently this year compared to prior holidays in order to take care of yourself? So I want to read a few of the responses that I received. So this first one is from uh, Desert in the City. When my mom was alive, she died before I turned 12. Christmas was great. Food and gifts and what would have qualified as a normal happy childhood. After she died, the holidays went off the rails. Chaotic, random, inconsistent. Sometimes my father would just stay in bed, even if we were expected at my cousin's for dinner. We had food in our apartment, but would have to make it for ourselves. Gifts were minimal or maybe even non-existent. I hated Christmas and even Thanksgiving for years because of this. It was only when I began dating my now husband that I reframed my outlook and tried to look at the present and the future as opposed to my dreaded past. My husband grew up in a normal household and really didn't understand, but really wanted me to be able to enjoy the holidays. One year, we went to the 99 cent store and decorated my entire apartment to try to get me in the spirit. That's when I realized my perspective was holding us back. So I thought about how could I enjoy the holidays more? I came up with ornaments. I started collecting ornaments that reminded me of the best parts of my childhood. As an 80s kid, my Christmas tree is basically a tribute to the 80s. Barbie, Donkey Kong, Connect Four, Pac-Man. And now Christmas is bearable and at times it's fun. Next we have from Sarah Jo. I'm certain that my holiday experiences are very similar to other adult children. I also had a fire on Christmas Eve night in 2012, in which I lost everything. My alcoholic ex started the fire on purpose and walked away with the insurance money. No investigation was done as he was friends with local police and firefighters. As I have worked through and learned to navigate this time of year, I prefer not to make a big deal about it. However, I sometimes still struggle with well-meaning friends and strangers. The belief that it is the most wonderful time of the year and that no one should be alone on Christmas becomes a trigger which others can't fathom or understand. I struggle with strangers that call me a Grinch when I don't share in their delight. Friends who insist I join them for whatever family tradition they have. While I'm very grateful and humbled with every invite, I really just prefer not to. I just want people to stop feeling bad that I don't have a family to spend the holidays with, to stop thinking that my holiday has to look like their holiday, filled with family, gifts, and festivities. I'll be helping my stressed-out mom friends wrap presents late into the night on Christmas Eve. Christmas Day, I will be helping to serve and deliver meals in my community made by a local church. These are the things that make my season bright. Next, we have Michelle. As a kid, it was a mess, normal shit show of not enough money. Stepdad drunk and mean. As I've said many times, you can tell a lot by the way someone handles untangling Christmas lights. As I got older, I tried to make the holidays perfect, just like relationships, all pretty on the outside, overspending, overwrapping, running myself ragged, only to be severely underappreciated and left down. This year and last, I'm feeling the painful feelings of losing my husband in 2020 to the disease and then my sweet baby sister in March of this year to an overdose and then both of my dogs right after that. 
Complex grief is a wicked, sneaky bitch. However, because of the program, I am able to feel and see joy. I am awake and aware of the power within. Thank you, gals, for sharing and being so vulnerable. And the one thing that I really took away from it was related to expectations. Maybe it's unrealistic for us to think that we can have some warm and fuzzy and joyous magical experience for the holidays. Maybe the best that we can do is just get through the day. And that is 100% okay. And smash this belief that our holidays need to look like the holidays that we see on TV and in movies. Well, that's enough out of me. Uh, Give me a damn five-star rating on Apple Podcast. And now for Eddie, instead of transitionary music, I'm going to play a clip from Eddie's most recent stand-up special. It's called For the Masses. You can watch it on YouTube. I think I'm sending you mixed signals a little bit. You know, I'm soft, I'm hard, I'm like, mm. You know, I'm blue-collar, I'm extremely intelligent. You don't know what to make of it, and I'll tell you why I do that. I send you mixed signals because that's what I fucking got growing up. So that's what you get. Okay, because my dad, he used to send me mixed signals. He'd be like, come here, come here, come here, Eddie. Just tell me, did you or did you not go to school? I am not going to hit you. And I'd be like walking around like I'm in a bank heist going... Do I tell him the truth and build a lasting relationship? Do I come from a place of honesty and build my own character? Or do I lie and become a pathological person who's always lying? Always lying to get what they want so they don't get hurt so they get what they want. And I said, Daddy... I didn't go to school. And he hit me. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce comedian, actor, the bitter Buddha himself, Eddie Pepitone. Welcome to the pod. Hi. Thank you. I just instinctively said yes. um, Because I think I saw you post something um, on Instagram, I think. And Mm -hmm. it was five things. Do you remember? It was five things. Five ways that dysfunctional families are like cults. Yes. Yes. And I said, I like this. You like six girl? Oh, well, just uh, full disclosure to the listeners. We're we're mid conversation and I could tell that it was going to be good. So we just started to to get going. Um, What what was I going to tell you? Oh, I was going to say, are you familiar with this term? I'm assuming so. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's start uh-uh. here, actually. Have you ever read The Laundry List? No. Okay. Let's. I, I think you're going to be able to relate here. Let's I, see. I, I, I knew I would be because I'm dealing with this stuff. Stuff now? Ah, uh, adult child. Yeah, this is... Okay. okay we became isolated free people in authority. Yes. Yes. We... we became well, approval seekers and lost our identity in the process. That... That happened to me. Can I... Can I can I tell you this? I would love I, you to tell me this. In college, uh-huh. in college, I went away from my very domineering dad. Uh-huh. And I was people pleasing him big time. I was telling him that I was going to be a dentist, which was really hilarious if you know me. And um, Was there any truth you know, my, to that? <laughs> well, I wanted to please him. Yes. But it was so not me. <laughs> it was so not me that I went to Fordham. This is in New York. Uh-huh. Where are you, by the way? I'm in San Francisco, but I grew up in Philly. So I'm looking at okay. your hat, the Rangers. So when I was a kid, <laughs> I loved going to Flyers games because that was the only time that I was allowed to curse. I was allowed to <laughs> chant, fuck the Rangers. As a seven-year-old, that is like the best thing in the whole wide world, right? You know what's <laughs> wild is, I, I don't know if you experienced this, but uh, it, with hockey and particularly the Flyers, yes, because they were a mean team. Yeah, the Broad Street um, Bullies. The Broad Street Bullies. I 
I would have such catharsis with all the fights, you know, <laughs> I'm sure this is related. But anyway, what I wanted to say is that I went to college and I actually, you want to talk about losing identity? My rebellion against my dad took the form of looking in the mirror and having no idea who I was. And I would run away from the mirror and have panic attacks. Mm. Like I, I would look in the mirror and not know who I was. So I think I qualify for two. Okay. So number three, we are frightened by angry people and any personal criticism. Absolutely. Especially the angry people thing. I've heard about your upbringing. I've yeah, heard oh, some, you did. yeah. Yeah. So your, your dad was, was an angry person. Mm-hmm. And my mom was depressed, uh, yeah. bipolar. And, uh, she, she kind of checked out. So I was kind of left, uh, at the mercy. <laughs> So you, I know you have at least one sister. Did you have other siblings? No. Okay. And so did your dad solely take out his anger on you? Um, yeah, more or less, I think, uh-huh. because I was the man, I was the, <laughs> the little man or, and, uh, I was the oldest, you know, but my sister definitely got it too. We're very close now, which is awesome. Uh, and we talk about our fucking childhood all the time. So number four, we either become alcoholics, marry them Mm. or both or find another compulsive personality such as a workaholic to fulfill our sick abandonment needs. I'm pretty sure this Mm. one definitely does not apply to you. (laughs) Wow. I how could I, I why haven't I read this list? But yes, that's true. So the way that I found out I was an adult child was I had a broken picker. I'm like nine years sober. I'm like dating an active alcoholic. I'm leaving work at 11 in the morning to go pull him out of a bar. Couldn't figure out what the fuck was wrong with me. And when I read this, it was truly a spiritual experience for me because I, for years, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Do you, do you have a broken picker? Have you had a broken picker? Yes. (laughs) Do you think it's still broken? uh, I'm, I'm getting better, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, especially, you know, I'm just doing a lot of work on this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, childhood trauma, mm-hmm. you know, seems to be uh, such a key to this. And uh, it's everything. It's everything. Yeah. You, you must love Gabor Mate. I mean, yeah, Gabor Mate. Gabor Mate. Uh-huh. Gabor. Yeah. Uh, he's amazing, right? He is really good. I would love yeah. to get him on the show. Oh, I could I could help you. I could help you. Really? That would be amazing. Look at you. Close friends already. Um, Okay. Number five, we live life from a viewpoint of victims and are attracted by that weakness in our love and friendship relationships. Yes. Yes. Okay. So yes. Now I just want to say though, no, I just want to say though, and I I don't know if I'm being defensive or whatever. I'll tell you. Um, (laughs) Is that uh, I, I'm, I am getting, I know I've said this again, but I'm really getting better with this stuff. Uh, like the victim stuff. I am, I'm really, I'm really getting better with that. You know, I'm, I'm being much more like taking control of my own life and like, I'll feel like a victim, but I'll let it pass. Like mm-hmm. it won't last that long, mm-hmm. you know? Cause you're letting yourself have your feelings. Yeah, and I'm also taking actions that counter the victimhood, which is just as important as the feeling. Empowering. Yeah, I think I'm so indulgent with the feeling thing. Like I can, (laughs) I actually do jokes in my stand-up where I go to the audience. I'm not like you people. I'm an artist. I stay at home and feel. (laughs) While you people are just throwing balls to your dogs. (laughs) I'm also uh, better friendship stuff too. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, yeah, it's just a reflection of how, you know, your progress definitely, definitely mirrors who you're going to be with, you know, socially, romantically, Mm -hmm. etc. It's all energy. Yeah. Yeah. It's all (laughs) energy. Uh, Six, we have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility and it is easier for us to be concerned with others rather than ourselves. This enables us to not look too closely at our own faults. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize that last part is really That's why you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, can I ask you about this in your childhood? So 
did you have to take on the caretaker role with your mother or how did that? So why don't you talk a little bit about your family situation? Yeah. Um, Thanks for this though. Is this, uh, is this Al-Anon? No, this is ACA, Adult Children of Alcohol. You need to read the big red book. It'll change your life. Uh, We won't go through all of them. I'm just No, no, no. It's it's wild because I do do 12 steps. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm a big, my addiction mainly is, well, I have a lot, but but marijuana is like, I just love to get stoned and check out. How long have you been sober now? Uh, it's like, I, I had a big slip during the pandemic. Oh, really? I'd like I to hear started, about that. Well, I started fucking checking out and vaping and hiding it from my wife, which mm. is, 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 it's partly hilarious to me now because, you know, I'd be like uh, a little kid. I mean, talk about an mm. adult kid, right? I'd be like, uh, are you, are you taking a shower, sweetheart? You know, then I would come down come down to the kitchen and smoke out the window. It's the typical story. I got away from meetings. I um, I was like, fuck it, it's the pandemic. I'm not doing anything. Why not watch movies high, you know? How long but had what, you been sober at that point? Oh, like nine years. Wow. So when do you think the mental, I mean, the, the mental relapse haps, happens, you know, way before. So when do you think that started? Oh, I think it started a couple of years before that. Just kind of, you know, well, you know the deal. It, it's it's hard. It's hard to really stay connected mm-hmm. to your higher self, if I may put it that way. Like, you know, really wanting to uh, grow all the time. And the pandemic has been a very weird time for a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I luckily have been saved by, uh, I am starting to, you know, I started about a year ago. I've been performing solidly for a year around the country in LA and, you know, I got boosted and vaxxed and so I I was like, okay, I'm doing this. And it really kind of saved me. And, mm-hmm. I, and I hooked up with real, this time around in sobriety, I hooked up with some really good people. And that has helped me tremendously because what I couldn't believe when I relapsed was how quickly mm-hmm. I became mm-hmm. a fiend again. I was an absolute, I was like, oh, I'll just smoke one time. I was getting up smoking. I was smoking through. I was like, and and I started to not remember shit. And it was crazy. It was crazy how quickly I went down this rabbit hole. Well, they talk about it, how when you're in a meeting, your disease is out in the parking lot doing push-ups. Yes. Yes. And I always would kind of go, yeah, right. I know. But <laughs> man, I, 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 I really experienced that, you know. I really experienced how you kind of pick up your addiction right where you leave it off, uh, which is amazing. It's like you just like, let's say you're here, you're sober, and then you pick up and you just go. Yeah, all the way down. It's like the tower. And then it just goes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that happened to me. So I think about if I if I were to relapse. I feel like I would be filled with such immense guilt, like as immediately. So what was that experience like when you act, tell me, walk me play by play to when you actually did it. Wow. Um, yeah, that was wild because, uh, well, I was all of a sudden, you know, I started noticing if you're a weed addict, I mean, LA is one of the places to be because, (laughs) I'm walking around my neighborhood, see, you know, and all of a sudden I'm noticing the weed stores. I never mm-hmm. fucking can care less about them, mm-hmm. you know? All of a sudden I'm like, oh, look at that. Hmm. Look at those stores. And uh, then I went on the road, you know, and uh, let me tell you something about performing. It's highly adrenalizing. It's like you get so a stand up, especially mm-hmm. it's like this crazy kind of fight or flight thing. Then mm. if you do well afterwards, you're adulated. And then on top of being highly, you know, in this fucking heightened state, then uh, people all around you have weed. I mean, mm. there's something about comedy where a lot of uh, uh, comedians, 
smoking. So someone passed it to me and I took it. You just did it. Did they, did they know that you were, they didn't know that you were sober or they did? Uh, they probably, they probably didn't. I think it was in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was and, in Kansas. <laughs> uh, you're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. I remember that thought came into my head. Um, mm. Yeah. And it was snowing and I had killed. And it seemed like, why not? That was the thought. It was like, why not? It was like, here's the thought. It's like, Eddie, don't be, don't be so uptight. Enjoy your life, Eddie. <laughs> and did you just get stoned out of your mind? Yes, yes. And then sure enough, you know, the next day, I was like, whoa, I, I had that guilt mm -hmm. that you're talking about, right? Like an intense guilt. And uh, the, the way I chose to quell it was to get high again. And that, that became the way to deal with it, you know, was to get high again. And were you um, continuing to go, go to meetings? Oh, God, no. <laughs> no, you know what? You know what I did because my wife is sober. And um, so one day, you know, I started doing that thing, smoking surreptitiously. One day I turned around after blowing smoke out the window and my wife was behind me with her hand mm. up. How, how long into your relapse was this? Oh, that was about nine, nine. No, hold it. It was something like five months or so. I was well into it. And, and then I had like that beautiful series of like the universe helping me because I went on to a meeting that night. You know, it was Zoom, so it was pretty mm -hmm, easy. Mm -hmm. um, I went on to a meeting. I, I was like so not into doing it. I was so not into going to a meeting and I was plotting out, you know, how I was going to fucking start smoking again but i went on to the meeting this guy i and i don't even know who he is now but he gave me the link to another meeting in the morning and that meeting changed my life a 9 a.m meeting here in la online uh called moore park upstairs and that meeting changed my life and there were all these people there were people that i knew of course that always happens to me like oh shit, mm -hmm. there's this person this person and they people i really liked and man i they i i credit them for like loving me out of it and like really kind of caring about it and you know seeing them and what they were talking about made me want to stop again. And I've been stopped, you know, for 16 months. And I got to tell you something about weed um, or 17 months, whatever. But I, weed is one of these things. I don't know what your drug of choice is, but weed is like, uh, it's like, oh, it isn't that bad. Look, they fucking sell it, you know. And, you know, the whole thing of, oh, the Indians did weed. You know, that whole thing that it's organic, all that shit makes it seem and and it doesn't devastate you. But it's like mm -hmm. it's like someone told me it's like a thousand little blows, mm -hmm. you know. So I, I realize I'm a much better person and comic and being a better comic is really important to me because it is my life's work. Like I really I really love comedy and I I, I like what comedy can do for people. You know, it's how I am of service, you know, not only to myself, which I really am, but it's because it's so cathartic about my mm -hmm. family. You know, the first few years that I did stand up, I only talked about my dad, really, <laughs> which is hilarious. I remember one of my friends said, you're still whining about your father in public. He was mean. <laughs> so I got sober at 19. Weed back then was not what it is now, especially on the East Coast. Right. And so that's when my alcoholism really picked up was like, you know, I smoked weed every day, all day. And weed back then, I mean, you gain a tolerance. You I mean, I'm sure now it's so fucking potent. Right. But like I I got I wouldn't get high anymore. Right. Like I would smoke to be like even keeled. 
And then that's when my drinking really, you know, cause I, so I would like smoke to be like functional and I would drink to get fucked up. I can't even imagine if I smoked now. I mean, it would probably be horrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that, what's funny is that you just described, I would do the opposite. I, I would drink to get like, like to, to mellow all the weed I had put in my system. Like I, I liked Guinness and all this shit. Um, but yeah, and, and I did get drunk. I did get drunk a bunch, but I, but it was never my first choice, you know? And when I think of going out now, I, I never think of like, oh, I'm going to go have shots. Uh-huh. Yeah, go have shots. <laughs> I'm not one of those people. I'm like, I'm like, so I just don't I'm like, I'm going to go get high and, and watch a movie. Yeah, eat some donuts. And then, and then eat some, eat a bunch Carbs. Cake. Yeah. <laughs> Carb life. <laughs> so two questions. One, mm-hmm. during that relapse, how did you notice that affect your comedy? Oh, well, um, it, it, at that point, it was really the heart of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So there was no going out and doing it. It was on Zoom, which yeah. was very strange. I would, <laughs> I would be doing a podcast. I was doing a podcast. And at first, I was having fun with it being high. And then what I noticed is I would start riffing. This is high now on a podcast. <laughs> I would start riffing and completely forget uh, what you're what talking about to say <laughs> yeah yeah i mean just like like before i forgot right yeah um but i mean this would just be like me going oh like this would be me and the camera going oh and i'd have a guest on and i'd be like oh, oh what was i like and it was just like it was just you know so i didn't really get to see what it would be like again live but it probably would not have been pretty. Yeah. It's no. like, now you see all the, in the tabloids, it's like <laughs> Eddie Pepitone shows signs of early onset Alzheimer's. <laughs> He's losing it. <laughs> yes. Yes. But, but you know, this whole addiction thing, it seems to be a, it, what it really, one of the big things I've realized it's me avoiding discomfort. Mm-hmm. Like, like, but it's an illusion though, because you can never avoid discomfort. And dis- when you, like, when I get high, it's it's with the idea, like, oh, good, I'm gonna, I'm gonna not, you know, I'm just gonna have fun. But it, <laughs> life always comes and slaps you in the face, mm-hmm. whether it's you know your significant other is all of a sudden you know is having a nervous breakdown and you're high having a deal it's just not a way to live you know mm-hmm. or i would get auditions and i'd have to be somewhere and i wouldn't be able to deal with it and the audition was be horrible because i i wasn't focused and I could care less, you know. I mean, I have to battle those things sober. Mm-hmm. When I'm sober, I, 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 I want to just be in comfort. You know, you talked about carb parties. I mean, I still have. <laughs> I never met a carb I didn't like. <laughs> yeah. So it's about fleeing discomfort, and it never works ultimately. And you know, uh, when I'm sane, I really realize that that. The way to go. I love what Ram Das says. I don't know if you're a fan or a mm-hmm. fan of Ram Das, but he says the idea is not to get high; it's to get free. Mm-hmm. And I, I try to go to that. I, I really have gotten into, well, just so much Buddhist thought and like uh, the therapist I work with is amazing with being so open to like spiritual solution, you know, which is just very difficult because I mean, you were raised in Philly. I was raised in Brooklyn. There isn't much spirituality Mm -hmm. in (laughs) old time Brooklyn. So I think too, though, when you think about like, you just wanted to, to not feel the fact that you had nine years, like a head, nine years of 12 step meetings and like recovering. Even more than that. Yeah. I mean, that fucks up everything too. Mm. Well, that is true. But if you really start 
like I was really getting high, um, you start to be able to like, ah, fuck those, those people are too uptight, you know, yep. but it, 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 yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you know, you hear in meetings, people say it, you know, I didn't get back for years, they mm -hmm. say, and I totally get that. Like, I feel like I was very lucky in that sense. Of course. You know, I feel like I totally get it because I, 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 I mean, I, you know, people go out and they never come back. Right. Especially uh, when you have time. Like I remember I was, mm -hmm. I was sponsoring this girl and she went into detox and I went up there to visit her and I was talking to this other guy in the detox. He had been sober for 27 years and had yeah. relapsed and he just could not get it again. You know, cause think about it. It's like you throw away all that time and then it's like, you know, you have a few days and it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, why do I, I'm okay with throwing away a few days, you know, like when you already well, threw away 27 years. That's when you really have to like surrender and realize that all you have is today, Hey, you know, and, 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 and the smart quote unquote, the smart old timers, quote unquote, always say shit like, look, I have 35 years and I need these meetings more than ever. Mm -hmm. So many people uh, in this meeting that saved me uh, over the pandemic said that the pandemic made them really get back into the program, you mm -hmm. know, meaning they were sponsoring people, they were calling people, they were, you know, they were doing all the stuff they let slide because it's so easy to let uh, your spiritual fitness slide, I think. I think that's very easy in our society where fucking everything is a distraction. I mean, every the internet, the all the apps, uh, just all of it, you know. I know, I know. So, I'm. A, when did your wife start to pick up that you had relapsed? Because I'm sure it was way before she was standing behind you that one day. Yeah, she. Well, she always tells me things like, "Yeah, I, I knew something was up with you," you know. Specifically, when that happened, I don't know. Yeah, you, you know, if you want to drink seltzer, so can I. Hell yeah! Mm. Cheers. Um. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, I'm, you know, I'm a good addict. Like I'm very sneaky, very sneaky, you know, that, that, that's a wild thing. You know, I, I, now I use the sneakiness for good. Like what? Which, Do tell. Well, well, <laughs> well, be, being sneaky is just another word for being smart. You know what I mean? And now I put that smartness in my, comedy craft. And, yeah my craft yeah yeah exactly because <laughs> when you're using it's like you're using all your wits just to get high I which know. is ridiculous <clears throat> i know well it says yeah. what does it say in the big book if we put uh one tenth the zeal into mm -hmm. our recovery mm -hmm. that we did to drinking and using right right um so you know, you're ta you've talked about how you're really kind of working through the, the childhood stuff. My question to you is, mm -hmm. I think that often why people with some sobriety under their belt relapse is because they have not dealt with the real underlying causes and conditions. And I'm curious if that was the case for you. Oh, well, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, so I would say yes, yes to that. And what's really interesting, and I've talked about this too on stage and with people, is the amount of lies we tell ourselves, like, like the layers of denial. Like, denial you have to unpeel. Mm -hmm. I think that's what they, they mean by the layers of the onion. You know, it's like, it's like the layers of denial that you have to unpeel to, to start to be able to see your truth. And the thing about trauma, childhood trauma, it's really painful. It's really painful. And we can only, um, and I think, I think it's more, and I don't know if this will be a controversial statement, but I think it's a little more difficult for men because they're not. A hundred percent. Okay, good. I'm glad you agree with that. They are taught to completely 
push away their feelings and you know it's a macho thing of like come on let's come on let's dig the ditch instead of getting it yeah, exactly. i feel sorry for myself bullshit <laughs> you know what i mean and um it's it's uh so yeah i i think it is not facing and unearthing and dealing with that childhood trauma now my question to you is how that seems never to end though like mm -hmm. you know what i mean like mm -hmm. i realized when i get in touch with this uh pain of my childhood trauma it's big it's really big and uh i can only deal with so much of it at a time exactly you know? i do yes and it's uh I think that that's, that's the whole thing with this is like when I realized that, um, that this was my problem, that like, it was my unresolved childhood pain. It's like, I was like, all right, like let's fix this shit in a couple months. Yeah, <laughs> you know? here. That's very addictive thinking too. It's it, like, and it's a trauma it's like response. We want to fit. Oh, is it? Is it? Yeah, it is too. And it's like, it's not really on our timeline, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not on our timeline. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing really good work with this therapist who really gets it. And it's it's like the first therapist that I've had that uh, is gets gets it. And, and I really feel like a, the, the key to a good therapist is someone who actually has, has the, had the experience. Yes, I know. I know. So I talk about this a whole lot on this podcast, there's not enough therapists out there that are truly qualified like, to look at this stuff. Me, so many of my listeners, we have spent hours and hours and hours in therapy without our therapist being able to identify that it's our childhood trauma. That's the problem. How fucking crazy is that? That is so insane. It's almost comical. It's it fucking is. comical. It's not, I mean, I talk That's about it comedy, a lot. That's comedy, by the way. That's life. That's comedy. You know, comedy, <laughs> here I go expounding on comedy. Comedy. Yeah. Comedy is always intertwined with tragedy, the deep comedy. And that is fucking tragic that, mm -hmm. you know, here we are ready to fucking like do battle with our trauma and, and the shrinks. You talk they about know the picker, fuck they're doing. <laughs> talk about your picker being broken. I know. I know. It was such, when I found my therapist, I mean, I wasn't so much, I worked now? with... Yeah. And I, so I found her when I hit my bottom, I still work with her, but I saw her twice a week for the first year and a half. Yeah. And she's an adult child. You know, she grew up mm. in an alcoholic household and mm. she saved my fucking life. She saved my fucking life. Mm -hmm. So have you had any profound awarenesses as of late? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. One of the big ones is I have seen so clearly like, you know, being able to like lift the, the veil that you've been living in, right? I see so clearly how I am guilty for everything. Mm. For, for like, like just feeling guilty, like immediately for things with my partner, you know, with my wife. Like, like it's amazing. And I'm like, and I'm like sitting there going what are you feeling guilty about and i don't even know you know what i mean like it's like what the fuck like it's something i the way i described it the other day in a meeting was that i feel like this guilt is like a creature i saw it as like this big fucking mean thing with talents into my back that won't let go and my therapist was like yeah we're taking those talons out little by little and i'm like i want them out immediately you know what i mean you know what that's but called what toxic shame is it mm -hmm. it's when um you should that read, um, it's called by John Bradshaw, but it's like when, um, Oh, I, I used to check out Bradshaw. Whatever happened to him? He used to have I this think thing he's on dead. PBS. 
Yeah. I think he's dead. <laughs> um, yeah. Healing the shame that binds you. You need to read it. Okay. What it talks about is like toxic shame is internalized shame. And when we internalize an emotion, it mm-hmm. no longer functions as an emotion and becomes one's identity. So when we internalize shame, we no longer feel shame. We believe we are shame. And when that happens as a kid, it can go one of two ways. The first Mm -hmm. way is, um, shameless, shameless acting in, which is where we basically will like try to be perfect, avoid any sort of shaming situations at all. Or you can do shameful acting out, which is the route that I went as a kid where we like lean into the shame, you know, and we just act in ways that just perpetuate more shame. But I think that that's maybe what's not trying to diagnose anybody, but you know, that is what is at the core of this, um, of childhood trauma. A lot of the times it's the, it's the abandonment issues and it's the toxic shame. Right. So how do you, how do you heal that therapy? (laughs) Is that a lot of therapy? Just kind of looking at it. And kind of honoring it and then feeling it and l- allowing it and um, moving and like, and then, and then it slowly heals. Yeah. And like looking at the memory, you know, I've heard you share before that you don't have a lot of memories. Has anything come to the sur- surface at all? Any? Yeah. Like some, some, I, I, I remember with, um, there was one particular memory that still kills me where I remember uh, taking a plastic hammer, you know, a pl- you know, that a kid gets, you know, a plastic and hitting my mom mm. on the head with it because I felt so invisible to her, mm. like so abandoned, you know, and that's still fucking uh, wrecks me when I think about it, I, you know, I just get such, and this is hard for me. I get such compassion for myself, Mm. you know, that I was this for whatever that, that one instance. And I was really young and I just wanted her to, uh, to fucking acknowledge me, you know, because she was, you know, a depressive and, um, uh, it just, it just killed me, you know, killed mm-hmm. me. And, and, and I really feel the pain of that. Um, and I'll tell you, it's big. It feels healing to feel it, but I can only feel it so, so much before I, I kind of pull away in like a self, that's the thing about trauma that makes it so difficult to access and heal is that we've developed all these defense mechanisms to not deal with it. Mm-hmm. And think about how many people never look at it. Oh my God. You mean the people running the world? Yes. Like everybody, everybody who's not listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you make it all about your podcast exactly (laughs) an alcoholic of course i do (laughs) um yeah no i do i think that um i think it's the root of a lot of things and i think so too it's like i think also the um like less blatant forms of abuse and trauma too like there's so many people out there who don't think that they were subjected to any trauma or abuse because they were never hit. True. True. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, a lot of it is like, Hey, like I, 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 this thought comes into my head. I don't know about you, but like, Hey Eddie, everybody had a tough, come on. Don't, don't, don't indulge in that. And that's a big defense. Like, Hey, come on, come on. Don't, don't fucking do this. Everybody had it tough, you know? Well, that's why it's so important. And I think that also comes a lot with being a male. So that's why I think it's so powerful Mm. that people like you and Paul and other people out there are talking about this shit. Mm -hmm. We need you desperately. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fun. It's funny to talk about it as a comic, though, because comedians are like, and me. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm not like this. Comedians kind of base their acts on mm -hmm. cynicism, mm -hmm. you know, on uh, you know being a smartass which is so such a defense mechanism too but i like to like mix it up like go from smart ass to being vulnerable you know i try i try try your best <laughs> so you were mm. you were at the improv on monday night yes yeah are you yes, working that, on new material or do you have i am always working on new material yeah uh but you know and and tell me is this a uh by the way i just want to say this too is that i you know my main identification is not like addict alcoholic. Like uh -huh. I, like oh, I'm an alcoholic. I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that for some reason. Like I, I feel like you know I'm I'm a complex person, and I just kind of, you know, I I I don't push it on people because I find that people they get very defensive about that when you know you say you're. Uh, this or that because it makes them go what the fuck is he talking about that for you know what i mean i don't give a um, fuck <laughs> yeah 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 but you don't mind like i have a lot of friends who like not a lot but people who are like oh i'm in i'm in you know they 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 identify with that you know so much and i'm like there's more to us than just uh -huh. that you know what yeah. i'm saying i do so what was the question before that sorry mm. I was asking you about new material, I guess. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm always uh, working on new material. And this is the question I wanted to ask you. But I have such discipline problems. And I wonder if that's related to it is. rebelling against authority. It's self. Well, I think part of it, too, is self-sabotage. I have. Yeah, I talk about that a lot on stage. I it is the reason I didn't finish that bit. Like I'll start bits and stop them, and I, and I'll say the reason I didn't finish that bit is I'm a self sabotager. Are there <laughs> other self sabotagers here? Round of applause. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I can totally relate to that. I could relate a lot to when I mean you did this interview ten years ago on on mental illness happy hour, but like the fear of writing, oh, but. Shit. And when we were talking about the fear of like getting your responsibilities done, but I think for me, that's one way that my, this stuff really manifests for me is like not doing responsibilities. And I think part of it is like a way that we create unmanageability in our lives. Right. It's like just a way to like give ourselves like a hit of shame in a way, you know, um. at least that's how it is for me. You know, it's like, we, yeah, we, and it's not, it's not conscious, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, yeah. Like, so as far as working on new material, it's like when I sit down, I just have problems with structure mm -hmm. and, 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 and overthinking things. I overthink yeah. the shit out of everything. Yeah, definitely that too. And uh, just, I, I really think, yeah, I think self-sabotage is a big part of it because as I'm writing, I don't know if you have this experience, but as I'm doing something that looks like it's really going to be helpful for me, I'll pull back. Like I'll pull back. I get too excited about it. Or what happens mm. is I get grandiose. I get grandiose about this new idea I have, and I just want to fantasize about it instead of actually doing it, working it through. Mm -hmm. No, I, I am feeling it through the grandiosity, you know. Mm -hmm. And like not, not um, bringing things through to the finish line. Yes, yes, I'd rather fantasize about how great this is going to be. And by doing that, I'm sabotaging the actual execution of it. And I, and I wind up never doing it. And I, I blame others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. another part of it. I, 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 uh, and then when I go on stage and I, and I don't do that well, I am like, ah, you people fucking suck. 
Has that gotten any easier? Like, how was that? Like when you kind of bomb, like, does it, does it still feel oh, it's as shitty as it did the first time you ever bombed? No, no, no. As a matter of fact, a lot of people who uh, want to get into comedy, they do okay their first couple of times and then they bomb and then they're gone. Then you don't see them. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's so, you want to talk about shame inducement or like feeling like you're the shame, like when you bomb as a stand up. And now I just, um, and it's sort of like when at the beginning of this podcast, when I was telling you, I am getting better. It's like, that's part of it too. I, okay. So I, so I don't do as well. And I, and I'm like, okay, you know, I see what happened there. And, um, you know, that sucks, but I don't get like, oh my God, you're such a piece of shit, Eddie. I don't get mm. like that. Even though it, it definitely still has its power sometimes. So I've done, I've gone to a st- stand up uh, open mic twice, and I did it about mm-hmm. the great epidemic in America that no one is talking about, which is guys lying about their height on dating apps. <laughs> I'm 5'11. Oh so, my God. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so funny because I saw another person talking about height on dating apps. No, oh, she stole it. She stole it. She clearly saw me, but she was clearly one of the five people that was at the open mic that I did five years ago. And a couple. Of, so the second time I did it, I did it over in Oakland. Not the right crowd. <laughs> is that right? Oh, were they, like, why is this fucking white, tall bitch talking about the great epidemic in America being guys lying about their height? Under- Please get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That is what's wild about stand up, by the way, is that, you know, one night you're performing for one group of people, you know, wine people who who are into like Chardonnay and then the next night you're performing with people who people are, are into a box of wine <laughs> rubbing alcohol exactly. <laughs> Robitussin <laughs> exactly or you're performing for an audience that has both mm-hmm. and, and you have to like split the difference so I wanted to ask you about some okay so you you mentioned a couple fears or limiting beliefs that you had. So this is, this was 10 years ago that you did this interview on mental illness. So I, what we got to check back in and By the see way, how that's wild that you just, yeah, I, I don't, I, I remember I always, you know, I, Paul gets you to really open up. Um, so I'm sure. I, and I know Paul too. Like, I don't know you. I didn't know you before this podcast. So, uh, you know, I'm sure with Paul, I had even an extra level of like openness so what did I say? Okay. Are you still, do you still have a huge fear of the ocean? Did I say that? Mm-hmm. I that was do, your number one I, fear. That was my number one fear. Yes. Uh, I do have a, uh, there is something about the ocean. It's a little similar to like, first there's that like agoraphobic thing about the ocean. It's like so vast mm-hmm. and it's so like, whoa and then when i'm in it when i'm in the ocean i feel really scared that i'm not going to get back to shore or or that i'm going to get i'm just yeah. going to get riptide yeah and i and i was in a riptide once it was hilarious you know again comedy right like i was in nantucket with my girlfriend at the time and uh I swam out and I really was digging Nantucket and I was kind of getting over my fear of the ocean. And then, and then Not too I, fast. Kept, I got, I kept getting pulled out. I kept getting pulled out and I was going out now further. And then what kicks in is the panic. And that's the worst thing that can happen to you in the ocean is start to have like, you know, uh, shortened breaths. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend was on the shore with, you know, other people that I know. And I was like, I was like, I was doing the help thing. And they were like, oh, Eddie's joking around. Look at him around. getting over his fear of the ocean. <laughs> He's joking around. And I was screaming. They couldn't hear me. And then someone said to me, sw- who was probably in the ocean next to me, say, and they said, swim to the side. Like uh-huh. swim, don't parallel. swim directly in. Yeah, swim yeah. parallel. And that saved me. And when I got back to shore, I was so fucking drained with fear. Mm. 
like mm-hmm. I had, you know, it, it, you know, my panic attacks and I haven't had one in a while. And I know we're kind of getting to the end of the hour and this is a whole big topic, but I, I, I was put on clonopin for panic attacks years ago when I got off a of clonopin, thank God, because it was so strong and it's so, so addictive. addictive. It's so addictive. It's so addictive. I would be like, Hmm, I think I am a little anxious. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, because it was such a, uh, you know, nice feeling, but so I'm off of that. But, um, uh, you know, my panic attack, attacks are better uh, i'm on zoloft i'm on an antidepressant now that helps with those you know ah oh, man and there's still part of me that's like oh eddie you should get off of that medication and really no, feel everything no you're fine but no right Stay on it yeah. yeah some of us need help me included <laughs> what about do you still have a, a strong fear that every time the phone rings it's going to be bad news <sighs> I still have that. I still have that uh, to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. Not as bad. Not as bad again. Like that has gotten better. That's funny that these are the things that I told What about um, extreme heat? Yes. That's gotten worse. <laughs> it's gotten worse. <laughs> yeah. The you want to know why? Yeah. 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 As a matter of fact, I want to get the fuck out of LA. I know. I'm which is the fuck depressing. Out of some, yeah. some of my friends, you know. Um, yeah. What about- I'm, I'm like, fuck that. Fuck this, man. Because not only is it the fires, the drought, and the fact that some days, are, I mean, some months are ridiculously hot. It's what like, I hell? hate this. What about um, of being beaten to death? <laughs> yes, still a very, uh, very fucking prevalent thing with me you know and uh i just yeah i fear you know homeless people people on the margins yeah uh who have obviously you know been beaten to shit by life and i think they're going to beat the shit out of me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um what about of being wrongly incarcerated yes that's a big one too big one too uh, that I am gonna fuck up and somehow get put in jail and man is that a big fear me too that would be horrible me too yeah. Well, yeah I mean it's like the Franz Kafka novel uh, where he, he he all of a sudden I think it's called Joseph X I forget the name of it but he gets thrown in jail he doesn't know why I've had that fear since I was a kid. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's about being punished. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been so amazing. I want to have you back on. Absolutely. I love talking to you. I'm going to send you some stuff. I, you need to read this adult child book. I'm telling you, it's going to blow your mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. Send me that again. I will. Uh, what do you want to promote? What do you want to shell? What do you want people to know about? Um, how about... They, uh, if they're in the Oakland area, Alameda actually, which is near Oakland, I'm gonna. Yeah, when is that? I'll come. I'm gonna be there on New Year's Eve. Oh, amazing! Are there still tickets available? Yeah, the 30th and 31st. Go to EddiePepitone.com. I will. I'll come. That's where. Oh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'll come. That's right. I thought you were in Philly for some reason. No, I'm in San Francisco. Yeah, I'd love to come. So that's December 30th and 31st. I'm doing two shows a night. Um, for New Year's, you know, amazing. And, uh, yeah, that'll be cool. And uh, it's meet in the flesh. Everything. That's right. That's Just right. don't do yeah. don't do my joke about the dating. It might not go well if you do the dating. <laughs> no, no, no. The dating app joke. Okay. Your, my, no. your wife might be weirded out by it too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so so just every, tell everybody or everybody who's listening go to eddiepepitone.com and that connects you to all my stuff. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. You know, they're just like, like I look in the mirror and I, and I'm like, you owe people money. (laughs) You owe people money. (laughs) They're sort of like half affirmations, you know, like half affirmation, half recrimination. That would be good, huh? Having recriminations. 
da- a daily recrimination? <laughs> That'd be good, right? Instead of the affirmations, a daily recrimination. Like, I never caught a fucking break. <laughs> that was your daily... <laughs> That was your daily recrimination. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Uh, as always, I hope you heard something that can help you on your own journey. Thanks again to Eddie. I will include uh, links to his website in the show notes. You can also find links to my social media. I'm at Adult Child Pod on TikTok and Instagram. So next week, I'm not quite sure what... Uh, I'm going to do. I have a few ideas and it will be the 40th episode of Adult Child. Holy cow. And I just want to say for anyone who, you know, is struggling or is having a hard time, you know, over Christmas, reach out for help, get some support. You are not alone. You know, DM me, do whatever. You do not have to go through this alone. Only if you choose to go through this alone. Uh, but I'll see you next week, guys. It's going to be super raw. It's going to be super raw. And I'm super excited for you all to hear it. It's going to be a goodie. I promise. What's holding on to? Just let it all go. What's making you slow now? Just let it all go.